Good morning. Our scripture is from 1 Corinthians 16, verses 8 through 20. I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. For when Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord, just as I am. No one, then, should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace, so that he may return to me. I am expecting him among with the brothers. Now our brother Apollos, about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you. For they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord. And so does the church that meets at their house. All the brothers and sisters here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The word of the Lord. Father, we lift up this time to you right now when Mark is bringing this message and just ask for your Holy Spirit to reign here. Lord, bring the words and the message uh, out of Mark's mouth and into our hearts that you would have for us today. We bless this time in the name of Jesus and give you our open ears. Amen. Thank you, Lisa, and good morning again, everybody. I'm very mindful of a clock that's ticking away here. So it's like over the past 20 Sundays, starting on February 24th, we've been working our way through Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Seven different speakers have chronicled the dysfunction in this church as the saints are dealing with problems both of their belief as well as their practice. And these messages have been encouraging us to walk more worthily of our own calling in Christ Jesus. Because as we've looked at these problems that the Corinthians encountered, we realize that we have some of these same problems and issues today. And the Holy Spirit has been speaking through these messages to us. One of the major issues playing in the Corinthians was divisions. They were divided over leadership. They're divided over marriage and head coverings, spiritual gifts, resurrection of the dead. And Paul patiently, step by step, addressed the congregation to help them come together in unity over these issues that were dividing them. As I was looking back over our past year at SPUC that I mentioned earlier, perhaps the biggest positive is the unity that we've experienced during this interim period. Instead of dividing around any number of issues that might have separated us, we've chosen to join together around our common common love of Jesus Christ and his church. And for that, I commend you all. 
making my job, our ministry job team, much, much easier. In this final chapter now, Paul does his usual closing things. You look at the end of any of his letters. He's tying up any unfinished business. He's providing an update on his ministry activities. And he's extending a number of personal greetings. We couldn't print the whole chapter in the bulletin, but uh, I'll allude to a few of these. And this morning, I'd like to look at seven things related to this theme of team ministry that I have, Paul and his ministry team, opportunities and challenges. Because we see in each of these situations that Paul is describing, there are opportunities and challenges both with public ministry and with his ministry personnel related to his team. First of all, he begins the chapter talking about giving. Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Now remember, Paul is writing this letter from Ephesus. Luke writes about it in Luke chapter 19. So we're at this end of almost three years of ministry here now, and he's writing uh, this particular letter. And sometime during this period, the Lord has been speaking to him. Perhaps he's gotten word from the churches in Judea. There seems to be a chronic problem with economic need and deprivation there. And the Holy Spirit has put in Paul's mind this idea that the Gentile churches should bless the Jewish church in Jerusalem. They've been the receiver, receivers, recipients of all the spiritual blessings that have come from the Jews and that background. And so this would be the least that we can do is to help the churches. And so now he's beginning to organize this collection. He talks about already in Galatians, he's in Galatia, he's sent instructions Uh, perhaps through Gaius, who is from Derbe, who was with Paul here in Ephesus at the time. And now he is spreading this word to the Corinthian Christians as well to prepare themselves for a collection. Now, if you go on and read 2 Corinthians, you'll see how many chapters in his second letter to the Corinthian church are taken up with this particular offering, giving them instructions on what they should do in terms of preparation. Now, Robin has already given us a message in 1 Corinthians 9 related to finances and stewardship, so I'm not going to talk very long on this particular matter. But in the instructions he gives, he gives uh, several noteworthy things on how the Corinthians are to prepare with this collection. When to give, first day of the week. So just as we took a collection here, first day of the week as we come together. Paul is saying, when you do that, bring whatever the Lord has prospered you with as part of an offering to do that. Who is to give? He says, each person as the God has blessed. So each Corinthian then had a responsibility, large or small, to be a partner in this collection that was going to the Jerusalem church. How much were they to give? Regularly and generously. Again, according to their own ability. And again, Robin emphasized these principles of stewardship that run over and over 
in the New Testament through the teachings of Jesus, through the teachings of the apostles, through the letters, how many times money is addressed because it's so critical for our lives, for the work of the kingdom. And what Paul is talking about here is, is a, something that, that uh, is being done as a group uh, of, of churches together to increase the potential impact with the church in Jerusalem. And so we deal with finances at our staff meetings every week as we have budgetary needs and looking at our offerings to deal with administrative expenses, printing bulletins and this and that. We do that and we need your offerings to sustain our activities here, paying our rent for use of this facility and and whatnot. But we're also looking for opportunities to minister to those in need in our congregation and beyond, and to join with others in sponsoring worthwhile projects that are happening in Antalya and in Turkey. And so we thank you for your participation in the ministry of serving the saints through your offerings here. And you've been generous in doing that, and we encourage you to continue on to maximize our effectiveness through your generosity. The second thing that Paul talks about here is outreach in terms of his own activities. And as he looks at his ministry activities now, this phase in Ephesus, he says, there's been a great door that's been opened to me. I'm having very effective, effectual ministry there. But he said that he's got difficulties at the same time. And as you read through Acts chapter 19, the stages of Paul's ministry there, he has public teaching that he's doing in the synagogue and in the hall of Tyrannus. We see great miracles that are taking place, even through his sweatbands that people are picking up from his workplace in the Agora there that he's working with Priscilla and Aquila. Demons are being cast out. Miracles are being performed. I mean, this is the open door of ministry that Paul is enjoying at this time. But in 1531-32, he also mentioned there that he's facing death daily. He says, I die daily. He wakes up in the morning. He doesn't know if he's going to be return home alive that night. He says his enemies are wild beasts. And so the challenges that he's having there in the midst of success So at this time in Paul's uh, period in Ephesus, his enemies had not organized effectively, but we know that very soon Demetrius and the silversmiths are going to join together and get such a bulk of opposition together that they're going to finally force Paul to leave Ephesus and to shut down, to close this door of ministry that he's enjoying there. And so we see in Paul just a tremendous bravery and commitment to preaching the gospel and again, this is, serves as an example to us where we're at here in Antalya today. Remember last week when Andrew was sharing with us, he described this large stone that was over Turkey. And Paul felt, certainly, I'm sure, that there was a large stone pressing down on him at times during his ministry at Ephesus and other cities. And yet, in the midst of that, God gave grace for him to go through the doors that were there. And we likewise live in a place where we have open doors too, oftentimes not so effectual, but we also have great resistance here. And the text that we're seeing here encourages us that we must recognize 
the ministry seasons that we have here in this city and to use them to extend the kingdom of God to whomever and to wherever. The final thing he's talking about here is you kind of connect the dots is travel. It's, if it seems advisable, notice he says to, to go also, they, talking about his ministry team, they'll come to me. After I go through Macedonia, I'll come to you. For I'll be going through Macedonia, perhaps I'll stay with you for a while or even spend the winter. You can help me on my journey wherever I go. If you look at the geography, just in these few verses here, it's staggering again. Uh, we know this geography. We live here, Jerusalem, Macedonia. Now, again, we need to talk about what Macedonia means in the New Testament. It's not the country that has recently become northern Macedonia. This is the northern region of Greece, where Thessaloniki is. This has been part of the big contention over names politically in recent decades. So the Roman province of Macedonia, he talks about uh, Galatia, we just talked about. This is the area that we live here in central Turkey, uh, ancient province of Galatia. Achaia, which is a province in central Greece where Athens and Corinth are located. He's talking about Asia and western Turkey. All of these geographical places here. And Paul is situated in Ephesus. Ministry is going out to all these places, not only through himself, but through this team that he's working with. And so the major cities in the eastern Mediterranean are being reached through the traveling that they're doing. Why does Paul stay in Ephesus for nearly three years? This was a gateway city in the first century. Fourth largest city in the Roman Empire, on major routes, it was a, tra- a very important transit point, and as well as pilgrimage center with the temples of Artemis, major Jewish population. And a second part of Andrew's word last week had to do with Antalya being a gateway city. Here we are 2,000 years later. So you go to Ephesus today, not a gateway city, Selchuk, <laughs> okay? Maybe Izmir, but uh, not Selchuk, and just how geography and politics change. But today, Antalya is a city like that. And as we witness, not only in this community, but the area, the cities around, whether they be Abordur and Kemer or Esparta, Alanya, even beyond that, uh, the nations that are within just a short plane ride, as people come and travel and visit us and go out from here, Antalya is that same kind of gateway city that Ephesus was in the first century. And what an opportunity for us to be living and situated in a strategic city like this. And then the challenge then that goes along with us and how we can be involved with ministry in such a strategic place. One of the significant things of team ministry, even today, and we've talked about it, is we're a very mobile congregation. We never know which congregation is going to show up on any given Sunday because you are all traveling a lot, either ministry, family, business, various things because of that. And because Antalya is such an important transit point like that. So this next one, for example, Robin will be gone. And Maryland will be back in Canada during this month. Dindy and I will be leaving as well tomorrow. I'm going back to my roots in Sweden this next week. So visiting relatives there. 
We'll be back, and we're going to post a list in the weekly and the bulletin about the comings and goings and who's going to be in town and on call so you know where to, to uh, whom to get in touch with if there's a need. But Jackson and Donna have, have been sent and serving us here. And so this is the type of ministry, interaction, and team uh, that's being developed here that uh, you know your leadership, and as God is calling us to travel for various purposes uh, we have this stability here of, of uh, known, trusted uh, leaders uh, who can be here. In terms of the team uh, that the Lord is putting together uh, here, so as we transition from some of these ministry opportunities and challenges, I like to look at four particular people on Paul's ministry team that he has here. He, he identifies seven, but we're only going to look at four this morning. And as I tried to think of their roles of each of these within the ministry team, we've got a few clues in the text. I've had to kind of, uh, you know, uh, guesstimate a little bit. I'm going to have your uh, input uh, as we try and identify a few of these. But we first are introduced to Timothy, the timid assistant of Paul, okay? Now, have any of you visited the big city of Hatun Sarai? Here, any of you been to Hatun Sarai? Any of you ever heard of Hatun Sarai or know where it's located? Now, maybe some of you who have done Paul's travels or journeys have been to Hatun Sarai. This is the modern name for the Huyuk or Tel of Lystra that just sits northwest of the city. Now, Hatun Sarai sits in the shadow of its largest nearby town, Konya just as Lystra was in the shadow of nearby Iconium. And this was Timothy's hometown. If you look at Timothy, he's what we would call today a third culture kid. I mean, literally. His mother, grandmother, he comes from a Jewish background on his maternal side. His father is probably, in my estimation, either a Roman soldier or a Roman businessman in the city. There are no Greeks really living in this city. They're in a region of Lycaonia, where we're told they're still speaking the indigenous language. So he's immersed in a city with various cultures, languages, and backgrounds, and he's trying to figure out who he is. So religiously, he's never been circumcised. So when Paul arrives on the scene, here's a teenager Uh, that Paul wants to take with him, and Paul has to circumcise him, so trying to get his kind of religious identity straightened out here. And so Timothy now is the son, the spiritual son for Paul, who now uh, is traveling with him. And he writes in 1 Corinthians 14, or 417, for this reason I have sent you, Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. Now, some in Corinth have been expecting Paul to come, not this young assistant. And Paul writes in 4.18, some of you become arrogant as if I'm not coming to you. So Timothy probably had good reason to be apprehensive (laughs) being sent to Corinth. So in 16.10, which we've read with Lisa read, Paul had to urge the Corinthians to cut Timothy some slack Give him a break. He says, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he's with you. Now, other translations say, don't intimidate him. 
or say that you put him at ease when he's among you. So Timothy is coming here and he's got lots of butterflies, not knowing what his reception would be. So the Corinthians, as we've seen, were so concerned about status and appearances. And Timothy coming from quite an undistinguished city, mixed background, probably little formal education. Among these, you know, snooty Corinthians, they would breed contempt or disdain from some in the congregation. Paul realized this group was saying the same thing about him. In 2 Corinthians 10, 10, he says, this group is saying your letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. This is the same word here that is used in 1 Corinthians 16 about Timothy, not to treat him with contempt. They're already treating Paul with contempt, so why not his assistant? So Paul now is his spiritual father and the team leader is, has this ongoing job with, with Timothy to encourage him. Even in 2 Corinthians, you know, don't be timid, Timothy. You know, he has to encourage him still at the end of his life, helping him to be productive in ministry, even though he might shy away from conflict and confrontation in the natural. Second colleague, Paul, uh, is Apollos. And Apollos, we learn, is quite an educated colleague. Of Paul. So he arrives on the scene while Paul has left uh, Ephesus on the second journey, going back to Jerusalem. Uh, Now, talk about somebody with a pedigree. He's from Alexandria, a very learned, distinguished city. Uh, We're told he is very learned with a thorough knowledge of Scripture. He's become a new believer, instructed by Priscilla and Quill, and already he's been sent to Corinth uh, to, to minister there. And so Paulus, it seems, has got like the complete package. You know, he's got the PhD in theology kind of thing and a lot of international and domestic pastoral teaching experience. You know, he's, he's got all these things. Plus, he's very cultivated in his manners. He's, his rhetorical speech is very elegant. And so this seems to be uh, Apollos who arrives on the scene. And probably when Priscilla and Aquila told Paul about him, Paul must have been thinking, this guy is too good to be true, (laughs) you know. So he had the option of two responses here. He could view him either as a rival or to encourage him as a colleague that God has sent in the work of the ministry. And of course, we see Paul doing the latter. When he heard that some of his Corinthian converts were saying, I follow Apollos, thus preferring his ministry style over his own, you know, it really probably must have hurt Paul a little. I mean, this is his spiritual family, and now they're turning against him. And Paul writes, here, I urged him to go many times to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go, but will go when he has the opportunity. So why was Apollos unwilling? We're not told the reason, but perhaps he was reluctant to visit Corinth because he was upset that some there were using his name as a slogan to promote their claims of a so-called Apollos group. And he rejected that. he, He was not behind this promotion of himself as somehow a leader of a faction in the church. And through this controversy over leadership, we see Paul taking the high road by affirming that he and Paulus 
in 1 Corinthians 3, five, are merely servants of Christ and doing the tasks the Lord has assigned to each. And this is such an important point as team ministry develops, not only here at St. Paul Union Church, many of you are on your own teams. We have so many talented people in our congregation that one could be easily tempted to think, there's no room for my gifts whatsoever. So-and-so has a better education. They can sing better. They can speak better. They do even dress better, maybe. <laughs> Whatever, whoever you're comparing yourself to, you are one of a kind that the Lord has gifted to be a part of this body, and you have something to contribute. And we want to encourage you to do that. We're all colleagues here in the work of ministry. So what may seem insignificant to you is vital for St. Paul Union Church to function properly. Now, Stephanus, I'm going to help you, ask you to help me define him. Let's look at what, how he's described here, what characteristics. So look at, he and his household were the first believers in the Roman province of Achaia. Okay, first believers, they're called first fruits. Notice in 1 Corinthians 16, it says they're the first believers in Corinth to be baptized. And now he's leading a team with his colleagues, uh, uh, Achaicus and Fortunatus, to come to Corinth by a sometimes dangerous sea passage to bring news from the Corinthian church. So what kind of a personality does someone like Stephanus have? First to be baptized, first to be a believer. He's out being a messenger from the church. What kind of people do this? Servants. Huh? Servants. Servants, okay. But what, what motivating them? What's, what kind of a personality trait? What? Pioneer, yeah. So I call him the devoted risk taker. <laughs> Somebody who's opportunity, he jumps right in. He's the, he's the first one, you know, and, and he's out there. And this seems to be what Stephanus is here. And so, he, but he has loyalties to Paul. He's the guy that baptized him. He's the one that led him to the Lord. And he's perhaps is the one leading the I follow Paul group within the church there. And Paul's got to kind of rein him in, you know, and just keep reminding him, you know, it's not me, it's Jesus, you know, that we're, we're doing, you know. And so uh, Stephanus is out there, uh, and, uh, but, and he's going, he's maybe made the journey to Ephesus, hoping Paul is going to assert his authority, put things back in order, and maybe he's even going to leave Ephesus with him to go back in person. So Paul now has got to hold down his fan club in the church there in Corinth, probably led by Stephanus. And he needs to teach this devotee what team ministry is all about and not to contribute to the factionalism that was within the body there in Corinth. Congregations need risk takers like Stephanus, okay? Those who are out in front of the action, who are volunteering, who are jumping in. But again, their activities, they must be balanced by others, (laughs) as well. The final couple is Aquila and Priscilla. I won't say much about them because we've heard a number of, uh, we're most familiar with them. They joined Paul in Corinth uh, after they left Rome 
uh, Acts chapter 18. They shared a common vocation. They shared ministry together. Uh, They were tent makers as well. So they traveled with Paul to Ephesus later. They remained there while he went to Jerusalem. And they planted a house church that was thriving when Paul returned. Now notice that there is no faction in Corinth. I am of Priscilla and Aquila. They were the type of couple, I think, that understood ministry and remained neutral in all this, encouraging unity rather than factionalism. In the last letter that Paul wrote, they were again in 2 Timothy 4, Priscilla and Aquila at the top of his greetings. And for some 15 years, Paul ministered with this couple out of mutual love and respect for one another. I guess if I put myself in, uh, in these, I would say hopefully Dindy and I would be a Priscilla and Aquila type of ministry individuals. And I look at many of you out there who are laboring in ministry together and say you are Priscilla and Aquila's as well as you bring strength and stability here to this body. And your faithfulness and maturity has helped this congregation, you know, through this very difficult and challenging time. Just a few final thoughts. Paul summarizes the message of his letter in five brief exhortations in in verses 13 through 14. And all but the second are the kind of things a general might say to his troops before they go into battle. First of all, be on your guard. Again, he's warning them against theological and ethical errors that Paul had discussed with them in his letter. He says, stand firm in the faith. Push back against those who don't believe, for example, in a resurrection of the dead or don't believe that spiritual gifts are vital for ministry. Stand firm in the faith. Number three, be courageous. Using the same language that God spoke over and over to various ones in the Old Testament, like Joshua, he's encouraging this small group who are a distinct minority in Corinth to be brave in their witness in the midst of the challenges. He says, be strong, just as Paul had suffered persecution and resistance to his ministry. The Corinthians must be prepared to suffer and resist their enemies as well. And finally, and finally, do everything in love. And again, harking back to chapter 13, wrap Paul wraps all of these exhortations around this final one. Everything that the Corinthians are doing individually and corporately must be wrapped in God's love. As St. Paul Union Church enters a new phase in its own spiritual history, I think Paul's discussion of these opportunities and challenges are important for us to remember. Like, our, like the Corinthians, our congregation has a diversity of culture, nationality, language, socioeconomic status, and denominational background. That is the identity that we learn in our profile of St. Paul Union Church. But unlike the Corinthians, we resolve not to divide along such issues and to preserve the unity of the faith as we show God's love to Antalya 
and beyond. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for this letter that we've been studying over these past weeks. Father, we thank you for the growth in this congregation. I've just seen it, Lord, as we've listened to the word, come into our spirits, Lord, as we've grown under the ministry of the servants, you know, who've stood behind uh, this lectern and brought the word of the Lord each and every week. Father, we pray as we finish this series, Lord, just seal it in our hearts now. And Lord, let the principles here that Paul closes with of strength and courage and especially love characterize us as a worshiping community here in Antalya. In Jesus' name, amen.